Hi, thank you all for coming. My name is Robin Hosier. I lead the Real Moms group here on Wednesday nights. Um, I'd like to welcome you all for coming. Before we get started, let's open up in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for bringing us all here. And we thank you for bringing Greta to us tonight, Lord, to bring such a difficult but such an important topic to us, Lord. We ask that ears are ready to hear, that she speaks truth with love and encouragement, Lord, and that we ask that we can just walk away encouraged in our parenting and that you will come beside us. And we ask that you also give Greta the words to speak tonight, Lord, and guide her. In your name I pray, amen. All right. Um, so for Real Moms, what we like to do typically is we like to bring topical speakers coming in who are equipped and passionate to talk about the subjects in which we ask them to talk about. And so tonight we have asked Greta Eskridge to come and speak about parenting in the age of pornography. Pornography is everywhere. And so we didn't want to keep her to ourselves with the moms. We wanted to open it up to anybody in the church who have a role in a child's life. Greta has been married for 23 years to her husband, Aaron, and they have four wonderful children, three teenagers, so pray for her. And so she is also a homeschool mom, and she's written a few books, and she is vitally and really, really passionate about equipping parents about pornography in the home. And so with that, we'd like you to introduce or to encourage and welcome Greta Eskridge. Hi, everybody. Thank you for being here, all of you in the way back, because this is like freaky, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm at a talk about pornography. I'm just going to sit in the back and kind of hide a little, because this feels awkward. I get it. I get it. I really do. Um, the truth is, nobody wants to talk about porn. Um, I sure didn't. <laughs> I grew up in a Christian home, and my parents were, were able to do such a wonderful job giving me a safe and beautiful childhood, and I didn't have to deal with pornography exposure as a kid, as a teenager, and it wasn't until I was a young adult and I was doing a search on Google, I think it was about horses, and suddenly I was randomly assaulted with my first view of pornography. So my childhood looked different than I think um, a lot of our kids' childhood looks or is going to look. And I was sheltered, good or bad, talking about sex. We didn't have to talk about it that much because pornography wasn't available 24-7 on a little machine that we hold in our hands starting from about the age of two based on kids I see at the grocery store or Costco, right? I didn't have that when I was growing up. And so pornography was more difficult to access we don't live in that world anymore. Our kids aren't growing up in that world. And so my parents had the luxury of not having to say very much to me about sex and especially not about pornography. They could say just the bare minimum and trust that everything was going to be okay probably. And they were right, it was. But our kids are growing up in a different world, and so we as parents, we have to step up and we have to be willing to have some difficult conversations. And so 
I just want to say I am really glad you're here, even if you are sitting way in the back. I am so glad you're here tonight because you are showing up. You're taking the first step in something that, like I said, nobody really wants to talk about. You're taking the first step in protecting your kids and um, perhaps even changing the trajectory of your kids' lives, your family's lives, for generations to come. It's a really big deal. So I'm so glad you're here. I'm so proud of you for showing up and being willing to take part in a conversation that feels challenging and difficult. I, I want you to know that um, you might be really uncomfortable at the thought of talking to your kids about pornography. I understand. I was uncomfortable with that thought too. And I know what it's like to make mistakes and be awkward and have that uncomfortable feeling in your stomach and you're like, oh, I said the wrong thing. How do I fix this? And just to sort of um, put us all at ease, I'm going to share a story where I made a mistake and you guys can all laugh at me so it'll help you feel better when you say the wrong thing and you'll remember, oh, it happened to Greta. It's fine. This happened to me a few years ago when I had been researching, writing, and talking about pornography for a few years. And I was starting to get more questions from my readers and followers online than I could manage to answer personally every time. And so I was thinking, well, how can I, how can I do this? I'm also a mom of four kids, I homeschool, so I wasn't going to um, just whip out a website real fast. Number one, I have no idea how to even do that. I can barely remember how to change a font on my blog. So I wasn't going to do a website, but I was like, well, I gotta do something to help these people who are coming to me with questions. I want to be there for them. So most of my interactions online happen on Instagram. And so I thought, well, I'll start there and I'll create a highlight. And that's simply a, a place where people can find links that I put to books I think they should read, articles, um, answering questions that I get commonly. And if you're not familiar with Instagram, the highlight appears as a little round circle at the top of my page. You'll see my face, my Instagram name, and a bunch of highlights. So um, I put together this highlight with books and articles and podcasts, all kinds of resources, things that I thought would be really helpful for parents. And I worked late into the night, and I finished it up, and I was so excited because I, I had created something that I knew would be helpful for parents when they're struggling, when they're vulnerable, when they're afraid. And a highlight needs a title so people know what they're looking at. So I proudly titled my highlight, Porn Resources, exclamation point. And I went to bed. Well, the next morning I woke up and there were a lot of messages from friends and from strangers who said, Greta, we know what you mean when you write porn resources, exclamation point. But a stranger who came to your page might be confused. You should change the name. So I did. And I titled it Fight Porn, exclamation point. And that became my battle cry. And um, like I said, I share that story just because I want you to know when you start to engage in these conversations with your kids, 
with your friends, with strangers, your mother-in-law, the person sitting next to you on the plane because you're reading a book titled Protecting Your Kids from Internet Pornography, and they're like, what are you reading? Um, you might mess up. You might say the wrong thing. You might stumble over your words. You might feel awkward, but it's okay. The most important thing is that you keep going because the conversation is so important and it's so valuable. So even if you mess up like I have many other times besides that one, um, keep going. It's, it's worth it. It's important. I also understand that beyond the awkwardness, pornography is also a topic that is heavy. And it's laden with things like shame and fear and hurt, even trauma, depression, anxiety. It's really full of a lot of pain. And if any of you in the audience tonight are feeling those things, I want you to know that I stand with you because I have felt some of them myself. And you aren't alone. And you aren't without hope for healing. And if you are a person or you have someone very dear to you in your life who is currently using pornography, and you think, well, that just takes me out of this conversation because I don't have a right to step in and tell my kids that this is bad for them if it's a struggle in my own life or my partner's life. Um, I want to let you know that you aren't out of the conversation. Number one, you don't know how God can use your story and your pain and your challenges to be the thing that can help someone else. Don't make him smaller than he is because he can use your story. He can use your struggle. And there is hope for healing and there's hope for help. So wherever you are at on the spectrum of those things that I just mentioned, if you're dealing with pornography in a personal way, if pornography has caused you pain, or you're merely uncomfortable with this conversation, I want you to know you're not alone. At the very least, you have me. But I guarantee everyone in this audience is feeling something that you are. You're not alone. We're in it together. And I believe as a group, this group right here tonight, we can begin to make a difference, not just in the lives of our kids, but in the lives of the other kids we come in contact with. And it creates a ripple effect of goodness instead of the damage that pornography brings. And so more than anything, I want you to leave tonight filled not with despair and frustration, but with hope that God is moving even in the dark world of pornography with the help of people like you who are willing to step in. I love the verse from Jeremiah 32, 27, where God reminds us, he says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? And we know it's not, even something as, as difficult and challenging as pornography. And I'm asked the question a lot when people find out that this is a topic I speak and write on. They're like, well, why pornography, Greta? Why is it something that you care about? Why does it matter to you so much? And I always start off with four reasons. And they are James, William, Lily, and Davy, my four kiddos. And um, 
there they are. <laughs> that was Mother's Day last year. I, I make them take a picture with me every Mother's Day. That's my Mother's Day present. <laughs> they have to make me a card, and they have to take a picture with me. It's pretty easy, I think. Um, so those four, that's why I started, because I realized that they were growing up in a world where pornography is an epidemic. And it wasn't just adults who were using pornography. It wasn't just adult men. It was men and women. It was pastors and teachers, youth workers, teenagers, middle schoolers, and even elementary school students are dealing with the fallout of pornography. And I wanted to give them a chance at something better. I wanted to give them a chance at a life that wasn't battered with self-loathing and a faith that was challenged because of the struggle of dealing with pornography in their life. And what I found as I started sharing what I was learning with other moms was that my four reasons that I started with were growing. First, they were growing to include the spouses that I pray my kids will have someday and the kids that I hope that they'll have someday. But even more, it has grown to include your kids, who I don't even know, and the kids of all the other parents that I talk to around the country every single month. Because I care about kids all over the world who are dealing with the trauma that pornography causes. And what I've found is that then it's grown to not just include the kids, but the parents, because we know that adults are dealing with this as well, right? And so my four reasons have grown into thousands and thousands and thousands of reasons of why I talk about pornography. I never wanted to be the porn lady, which is what my friends jokingly call me. My husband has laughed so many times. He's like, did you ever think you would be the porn lady? And I was like, absolutely not. I mean, for most of my life, I couldn't have even said that word out loud in front of him, my husband, let alone a room full of strangers. But sometimes God says, this is what you're supposed to do. And all you can do is say, okay, Lord, I trust you. And so I am now talking about a topic that I never imagined I would. But what I have found, like I said, is that there is so much hope and um, there's so much healing that can be found in this dark place. And I want to be a part of that. As difficult as it is, as so much that I sometimes have to take a break and stop learning and researching. Um, but I want to be a part of the hope and I want to be a part of the healing. And I know you guys do too. And we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about how we can... Um, have difficult and, and awkward and maybe even painful conversations, but by doing that, we can give our kids a chance at a healthy sexual future, a healthy and a happy marriage, and a faith that lasts a lifetime and isn't battered by things like self-loathing and addiction. We're going to talk about some specific ways you can interact with your family, things you can put into place, tools you can give to your kids, to help you work towards those goals. And I want you to know that we're not just talking about your kids while they're in elementary school or middle school or high school. I want you to have a much bigger vision than that. 
Like I said, I have a vision of helping my kids and their spouses, their kids, my someday grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren. I want you to have a vision of helping your kids be sexually healthy for their whole life. Expand your vision to grow beyond just the next month or the next few years ahead and imagine giving them a future that is healthy and what God designed for them and desires for them for their whole life. And a couple other things I want to say before we get into the the, um, practical part of this talk. I want you to know that I am just an ordinary mom like you. I have four kids And I am an author. I've written two books, but I'm not a sex therapist. I'm not a child psychologist. I don't have a bunch of letters after my name. And sometimes that makes me feel like, oh, I'm not really equipped for the job. And maybe you feel that way too. Maybe you think, oh, I'm not equipped for this. I I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. But I want to tell you the truth. The truth is, is you are a parent or a grandparent or a beloved teacher or um, friend to kids, then you are uniquely equipped for this job. Because I know as a mom, there is nothing that I won't do to protect my kids, right? And I know all of you, there is nothing you won't do to protect the children that you love. So you are equipped for this job. You might need to learn a little bit, but that's fine. That's why you're here, and you will leave better equipped for the job. So you have no outs. I'm not giving you any excuses. I'm, I'm telling you, you are going to be able to leave tonight and help your kids. You're going to have some strategies that you can put into place, even if you feel awkward and you say the wrong thing, even if you say, well, I don't know if I can do it. I'm here to tell you, you can, and you will. All right, so um, one thing we have to talk about before we get to those practical things is we do need to know a little bit about the world of pornography right now, what kids are dealing with, the world they're growing up in, because some of you grew up in the same era as me, and it just looks different now. Porn is being consumed more now than any other time in history. One in five searches on a mobile device is for pornography. That's a lot. And uh, I read an article from the Huffington Post that reported that porn sites receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined every single month. Um, I just got this book. It's called Behind Closed Doors. I'm going to have it on the back table for you guys to look at when we're done. And um, I just started reading it, and I want to read something that she included that I think is a powerful image for you guys to, um, to hold on to. It says, with 50,000 searches per minute and 81 million daily average visits, it's estimated that one year of uploads to Pornhub, which is the biggest um, producer and distributor of porn online, It's estimated that one year of uploads to Pornhub could fill a memory, the memory, of every smartphone on Earth. So I'm going to read that one more time. With 50,000 searches per minute and 81 million daily average visits, it's estimated that one year of uploads to Pornhub could fill the memory of every smartphone on Earth. 
Here's the thing about Pornhub, you guys. During the pandemic, Pornhub acted like they were like this amazing charity, and they offered free subscriptions to their website to all healthcare workers. And people were cheering about it. Pornhub is in the news a lot because there are people trying to shut it down. Yet at the same time, my friend just today sent me a link to a new, I don't know if it's documentary, I haven't had time to look into it, but it's on Netflix and it's about Pornhub. And it's not against Pornhub, it's talking about how Pornhub is empowering to the people who create pornography, whether they're the directors or the actors, and that they're, um, that it's a good place for them to be. The devil is trying to trick all of us, and he's doing it blatantly. That there are people who are saying, oh, how wonderful, free pornography for healthcare workers in a time when they're already stressed beyond imagination. Let's make their um, world worse. No, people are saying, let's make their world better. The devil is trying to trick us. And we, as parents, need to know that's the truth. And our kids do too. It's really important also for you guys to know that pornography is incredibly addictive. And that's important because um, this is more true for kids than even for adults because their brains are still developing. The reason pornography is so addictive is that it releases, when it's used, it releases a hit of a feel-good chemical called dopamine. You've probably heard of dopamine. Dopamine is good. It's part of our body's chemical system. It's something that our body needs. God designed us to have it. But the trouble is, is when it's combined with pornography, the brain doesn't have a shut-off that it's satiated when pornography is used the same way it does when a man and a woman have an intimate sexual encounter. The brain knows that there is satisfaction at the end of that, but it doesn't have the same reaction to pornography. God did not design our bodies or our brains to use pornography. And so what happens is that dopamine keeps being released and that becomes really addictive. And so pornography and addiction go hand in hand, especially for developing brains of adolescents. I'm going to read you one more thing from this book because Jessica, she's a nurse and she explains it so well. She says, teens are especially vulnerable to chemical reactions and brain changes associated with repeated pornography exposure. Teen brains are neuroplastic. That means they grow and adapt by creating new pathways based on chemical influences, hormones, and environmental influences, pornography. So the brain is actually truly changed by repeated pornography use. We need to sit up and take notice of this because there are going to be people who tell you porn is not that big of a deal. It's harmless. Like you just need to relax a little. A kid can stop watching pornography easily if they've started. If they're visiting pornography again and again repeatedly, it is not going to be easy for them to stop. It's highly addictive. And we as parents need to be aware of that so we can step up and protect our kids. And our kids need to know that too. 
If you have high schoolers, they are more than ready to understand the way pornography can impact their brain. In fact, a few months ago, I gave a talk to a large group of teenagers. It was pretty amazing. It was the first time I'd ever done a talk like this for teens. And it was actually through a, a public school. It was a charter school, and they were kids from all over the U.S. I did, they asked if I could give the talk non-sectarian. That means no religion. And I said, yes, I can. And um, I, because I wanted to be able to introduce this topic to kids. And um, I wanted them to know the truth about pornography. Because, as I suspected, and what I found out was true, was no one talked to them. No one has talked to them about pornography. There were probably 150 kids on the Zoom call. And they, as soon as I started talking, they all started talking in the chat. I couldn't keep up with it because I was trying to have a, give a talk and they were all talking. So I said, can you guys hold off on your questions and your comments until I'm done and then we will have a conversation. And, and they did. And they said things like, no one has ever talked to us about pornography before. No one told us what it could do to our brains or our bodies or the way we view other people. They said no one ever told us is bad for us. No one has ever told us we don't have to watch pornography. We just thought everybody did it. So if you have teens, they are ready to have these con kinds of conversations with you. They need to know the truth. And we're going to talk about how to do that. We're going to talk about how to lay the foundation for your kids that are younger than teens. But we need to know that pornography impacts the brain and therefore impacts the way that they, uh, a user interacts with pornography. A few other things I want you to know. Um, it's not just young adults or teens who are viewing pornography. Middle schoolers are using pornography. In fact, I read a stat recently that said children under 10 years of age account for 22% of online porn, con porn consumption of youth under the age of 18. So if you take the group of 0 to 18, 22% of the people who are looking at porn are under the age of 10. I have an 11-year-old. He is a sweetheart. Um, he drives me crazy, but he's also a sweetheart. He loves um, drawing. He loves trading Pokemon cards. He loves um, watching the Wild Kratts. He doesn't need to look at pornography. He does not need to see that and have his brain damaged and his heart hurt by that. He needs to watch the Wildcrats and tell me facts about animals and get excited about what a snake can do. That's what he needs to be doing. Our kids are dealing with pornography even in school. It's being traded on computers. They're supposed to have firewalls, but kids are smart. They know how to get around that stuff. <sighs> Statistics tell us that um, the average age for first-time exposure is uh, about 11, but I'm reading more and more that they're lowering it to about the age of 8. And, of course, that's problematic, but it becomes even more problematic when we know that the nature of pornography has changed to be much more dangerous than it was before. 
Um, this is a quote from an organization called X3 Watch, which is an organization that helps people uh, leave pornography addiction. And this is what they said. The stuff that kids are seeing today is more graphic, violent, deviant, and destructive than the pornography you or I may have encountered when they were young. And I recently read a book. It's called Raising Boys Who Respect Girls. It's on the back table. You can check it out before you leave. And in it, the author cites a study where he said, 30% of college men who identified themselves as respecters of women also admitted they would be willing to rape a woman if they knew they wouldn't get caught. And when I read that statistic, my eyes filled with tears because I thought of those young women that are dealing with men who have that view towards them. But my heart also broke for those young men because I know they have been damaged deeply by watching violent pornography. And the truth is, is that is the, one of the biggest trends in pornography right now is sexual violence. I think about my daughter. She's 14. Um, she's beautiful. She's fun. She's got three brothers, so she's a tomboy. Um, but I think about her dating, and I think about the guys that she's going to bring home someday, and I wonder what they've been exposed to. I think about my sons and the kind of men I hope that they will be and how they'll treat their future girlfriends or wives. And I want them to be men of honor who don't treat them badly and don't view them in the way that has been twisted by watching violent pornography. And I know these things are hard to hear. I do. I know because that's why I'm talking about them because, like I said, I care about your kids. I care about mine. This stuff is is hard to stomach, but it's so important for us to know so that we are stirred up inside to do something about it and to make a change. I want you to know that pornography isn't just impacting the brains and the hearts or the souls of the people who watch it. It's even impacting the bodies of the people who are using it. And I share this fact because like I said, there will be people who, who might say to you, well, you just don't want people to look at pornography because you're religious. You're a prude. You're uptight. It's not that big of a deal. But here's an interesting fact that has nothing to do with religion. It doesn't have anything to do with the mind. It has to do with the physical body and what happens to a person who is continually consuming pornography. For the first time in history, doctors are recording that there is an epidemic of, of young men who are experiencing erectile dysfunction because men who consume pornography repeatedly over time have a difficult time achieving arousal with a real-life partner because their brains have been rewired. It's that brain stuff that's going on, their brains have been rewired to only be aroused by what they see on a screen. And so they're either using pornography while they're having sex with a real-life partner, or they just have given up on sex with a real-life partner and are only using pornography. And that is a tragedy. That is a tragedy, and it is true. It is truth that pornography isn't just something that religious people are against. There are plenty of people who have no interest in religion, and they are honest about the impact of pornography on consumers. So knowing all of that should, like I said, 
make you realize that this is a battle of epic proportions. It's a battle for our kids' minds, for their hearts, for their emotional and sexual health, for their future relationships, their marriages, and their faith. One of the very first books I read about pornography, because I like to just dive in and not <laughs> take it slow, is a book called The Porn Myth by Matt Frad. Again, it's on the table in the back. And that book um, really rocked my world. It was uh, a lot of information, but it really made me sit up and take notice. And I want you to listen to one thing that Matt says in that book. He says, few things in our society are more concerning than pornography. Research is just beginning to show how harmful it is. We know pornography plays a role in sex trafficking, child exploitation, and sexual violence. Pornography also affects the developing brains of youth and shapes the sexual template of our entire society. We are seeing unprecedented levels of sexual dysfunction in many young men, and experts are attributing it to the trend of high levels of porn consumption. Now listen to this part. He says, yet many of us have been duped into believing pornography is healthy and even normal. You guys, we live in a culture that wants to normalize and minimize pornography. They want you to think it's no big deal. I call it living in a pornified culture. I'm sure I didn't come up with that. It's probably in a book I read somewhere, but um, I like it. And I think it's true. You, you can remember it. What I mean by that is that the porn industry is doing its best to make you think that pornography is harmless, it's even funny. They just want to normalize it and minimize it, make you think it's no big deal. I'm going to give you a couple of examples because this is really important for you to understand so you can help your kids understand it. Because our kids need to know that they are being tricked. People are lying to them. And if they don't know how to be wise consumers of media to be discerning people, then they are going to fall for the tricks. So a really common one that is on social media all the time is the hashtag food porn. Somebody puts a picture of their beautiful smoothie bowl that they made for breakfast. It's got bee pollen and chia seeds. It's bright purple because it's made with some berry from the mountains of Andes. And, um, you know, it's amazing. And they write, oh, smoothie bowl for breakfast, hashtag food porn. And you're like, oh, that's totally normal. You probably don't even think about it. It just rolls right over the top of your head. But that's because that idea food porn has just become normal to you. And it's minimizing what pornography really is because pornography is not a smoothie bowl. Okay? I mean, maybe somebody has done that, but we don't want to talk about it. Um, pornography is not something that is cute or beautiful or funny or that we're proud of. And by using the hashtag food porn or cabin porn, there's a book that I see in bookstores all the time. And I, I want to buy the book because I love it. It's got this really darling A-frame cabin on the front in the mountains, in the woods. And it's full of all these amazing cabins. I dream of having a cabin in the woods. But the title of the book is Cabin Porn. I won't buy it because I disagree with them saying that pornography is no big deal. So such a non-issue that we can title our book Cabin Porn. Now, you might be able to identify that that's problematic, but our kids are consuming this stuff day after day, 
And if no one's ever said, hey, pornography isn't a joke. Pornography is not a smoothie bowl. Pornography is not a cabin in the woods. They need to know the truth. You need to be able to tell them. Here's another example. This happened in October of 2020 when the world was insane and Kraft Mac and Cheese decided they would be insane along with everybody else. And they released an ad campaign where if you used a certain hashtag, you could have a free box of Kraft Mac and Cheese sent to whoever you wanted. And I need you to, to tell me who is the primary target audience for Kraft Mac and Cheese. Kids, right? You're little kids. I mean, you probably eat the leftovers in the bottom of the pot after you feed them, but primarily it's kids who are eating Kraft Mac and Cheese. Well, their ad campaign was use the hashtag send nudes, and they spelled it N-O-O-D-S. How clever, how fun, how funny. There were commercials, there were, there were print ads where the bowl was fuzzed out to make it appear as if it was an inappropriate image. They were not hiding what they were pretending to do. That is not okay. That is minimizing pornography. That is trivializing pornography. And it is actually against the law for people under the age of 18 to send nudes to one another because it's considered child pornography what they now call child sexual abuse material. And yet, Kraft Mac and Cheese, whose target audience is six-year-olds, is making a whole ad campaign about that. And there were a lot of people who were outraged, but there were also a lot of people who were like, oh, this is funny, ha-ha, I love it, great, hilarious, let me send some to my friends. There were a lot of people who thought it was no big deal. I'm gonna give you one more example. This is from a book called A Student's Guide to Culture, written by John Stone Street and Brent Kunkel. Some of you might know Brent Kunkel. He runs a ministry called Maven. They put on a conference in Southern California every February. I highly recommend you go next year. It's fantastic. He talks a lot about culture. This book, um, in the chapter about pornography, he starts with this question that he asked a bunch of teenagers. He asked them, what would bother you more? A, looking at porn, or B, throwing your plastic water bottle into the trash instead of the recycling bin? The majority of students said it was more immoral to not recycle than it was to look at pornography. And guys, think about it. They've been told from preschool that they should recycle and that they don't, if they don't recycle, they are doing something bad. Is anybody telling them that looking at pornography is bad for them, that it's dangerous, that's hurtful to so many people? For a lot of them, no. Nobody is telling them that. And, and that's why you as parents, you need to talk to your kids about this because the porn producers, they don't want you to know the truth. Pornography is big money. The worldwide revenues for porn exceeds the incomes of Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, and Netflix combined. That's a lot of money out there to be made, and it is made by getting people addicted to their product. And that means they will do whatever it takes to get you or your kid or anybody else's kid addicted to their product. And we have to know that so that we can say, gosh, 
I'm going to step up and I'm going to do something to protect my kids. There really is a spiritual aspect to this fight. I am willing to do talks where I don't mention religion because I believe that God works even in those situations. And if I can get the truth about pornography out anyway, I will. But I always remember there is a spiritual aspect to this fight. Listen to the verse from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, because I believe it says it so well. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And um, it's really true that pornography is a dark place where Satan is at work. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is stronger than Satan, and he is at work bringing light into dark places. One of my favorite books is the book called The Hiding Place by Corey Tenboom. And it's a story of a woman who was captured by the Nazis in World War II because she and her family, who were Christians, were hiding Jews in their home in Holland. And she and her entire family were put in concentration camps. And Corey says in that book, after she experienced darkness, the likes of which I don't think any of us can even comprehend, she said there is no pit deeper that God's love is not deeper still. And I know that is true about this world of pornography. God's love and his redemption and his power to shine in dark places is brighter than even the darkness of the pornography industry. And so, again, I invite you to step into this conversation with me, not to leave tonight and say, okay, well, that was good. I learned some stuff, and I'm just going to think about it for a while. I invite you to actually do something with the knowledge that you're gaining. Edmund Burke says this quote, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men, and I would say parents, grandparents, all of us, is to do nothing. And so now we're going to talk about what you can do. Okay, now you know all of this. I've set you up and told you it's a heavy and dark place. What can you do? So I'm going to give you five specific things that you can do starting tomorrow to help your kids fight against pornography, to build a culture in your family that is anti-porn. And the first thing you can do is actually um, one of the easiest and most helpful, and it is preparing your kids. Be prepared, okay? So number one, be prepared. Help them be prepared for what to do if they see pornography. And I like to call this creating a porn plan. Now, you can change the name because you know I'm bad at names. Um, but I use that name because you won't forget it. You'll be like, oh, yes, that lady said we need to have a porn plan. I'm going to change the name, but that's what we're going to do. Your kids need to have a plan for what to do if they see pornography. Ideally, this will happen before they ever see it. But if they have seen it, it doesn't matter. It's not too late. You still are going to give them a plan for what to do in the future. If your kids are young, elementary school age, I would say from the age of six and up, you need to be talking about this with them because they're on screens, right? I mean, really, they're on screens if they're two. Um, but 
if they're on screens for school or to play video games or whatever else they're doing, there is a chance they could encounter pornography there. So you need to tell them what pornography is and you need to tell them what to do if they see it. Now, you're like, well, how do I tell a six-year-old what pornography is? It's really simple. You say something like this. I need to tell you about this thing called pornography. It's bad for your brain. It's bad for your body. It's bad for your heart. It's pictures or movies of people who have no clothes on. And if you see it, here's what I want you to do. That's all you have to say to them. They don't need a lot of information. In fact, they need the most minimal amount of information at that age. But they do need to know what it is. You need to tell them the real words. The reason you use the real words is that offers a layer of protection. Because if someone were to ever show them pornography, which could happen, then they are able to communicate to you and to authorities that that person showed them pornography. To them, pornography is just another word. You're not weighing them down with the heavy baggage that you have knowing what you know about pornography. You are simply equipping them to keep them safer. So tell them this is what it is. You can tell them where they might see it. You might find it when you click on an ad when you're playing a game that you like. Or somebody could show it to you on their phone when, they're, when you're playing at their house, their older sister or brother, or a kid at school or on the baseball field. Um, you, it might happen when you're doing a search for Google, and that's why mommy or daddy wants to be with you when you're looking for things online. And if you see it, here's what I want you to do. And then you tell them that you want them to turn it over if it's a phone or shut the computer, or uh, turn off the tablet. If someone is showing it to them, tell them that they can say, I don't want to look at that, and then they can walk away. And with young kids, it's so powerful if you actually physically act that out. When my kids were little and I wanted to teach them what to do if they got lost when we went to an amusement park or the fair, we would physically act out scenarios so they knew what to do. It's a really helpful way for them to get in their heads what they can do so they're less likely to freeze in a scary or challenging situation. One way that is helpful for little kids to remember is um, turn it over. Let me see if I, <laughs> I'm forgetting what, what it is. Turn it off, tell a parent, talk about it. So. The last thing that you want to say is that they need to tell you, or if you're not around, another trusted adult. And you could even come up with a few examples of who those trusted adults would be so they know who to talk about it with. That is a great start for your young kids. And I know some of you are like, I still can't do it. I can't talk about this with my young kids. And if that's the case, there are books available to help you. Actually, not very many books. There are only two that I've found on the market, both created by um, Kristen Jensen. And she wrote Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And then on the back table is Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior, which is for, I would say, 6 to 10. I would use this for like 9 to 12-year-olds. Um, and if you feel like you can't just have a conversation like that off the cuff, Read through these books yourself, decide which parts you're willing and are ready to share with your kids, and then read them to your kids. There's no shame in you using a script. 
what you want to do is give your kids a plan for what to do if they've seen pornography. Now, if your kids are older, like 12 and up, and you're like, well, it's too late. They've probably already seen it. They know about it. I've never talked to them. I can't start now. Absolutely not. You still have to. In fact, it's so important you do because if you don't, their information is coming from peers or the Internet. Those are not places you want them to find out about pornography. And you could have a conversation as simple as this. Hey, you know what? I need to talk to you about something called pornography. You might have heard of it before. You might have heard about it from your friends or at school. Um, or maybe you haven't, but we need to talk about it. And you tell them the same thing. It's pictures or movies of people who aren't wearing any clothes. At that point, if you've already had a conversation with them about sex, you can let them know there are people who are engaging in sexual acts. Little kids don't need to know about that because you're giving them the minimal amount of information. Um, and you need to tell your older kids, your you know, 12 and up, that pornography is bad for their brain, bad for their bodies, bad for their heart. It impacts the way they view other people. It impacts the way they view themselves. And um, it's bad for them. And if you feel like, oh, I don't know if I could do that again, here's a really helpful book. This book is pretty straightforward. It's called How to Talk to Your Kids About Pornography. I'm going to have all these books on the back table for you to look at when we're done. They're not for sale. They're from my porn collection. Um, <laughs> my kids actually, uh, my husband recently built us a huge wall of bookshelves in our living room. And I love books, so it's filled. And my kids actually said, Mom, can we have the porn section like at the back of the bookshelves so people don't see it when they first walk in? Clearly, they are very comfortable with the topic of pornography because they have me for their mom. <laughs> but you know what? I'm glad because we're not embarrassed to talk about it. We're not. I mean, sometimes they are. Um, but we power through. And this book was really helpful. You can see I used it. It's got all the marks from the pages that I've read. Um, you could read this with your teen, your young teen or your older teen. You could read them. It's just short little chapters, and um, it covers really great information, things that maybe you had never thought of talking to your kids about. And um, I don't suggest you give your kid a book like this and say, hey, this is something you need to know about. Why don't you read this? Don't do that. You need to talk to them. You could read it aloud to them. They might not say a word in response, but they're listening. Or you could say, hey, you read, it, read this first chapter, and then we're going to talk about it. They probably won't say a word, but again, you're, they're listening. So there are things to help you with giving your kids a porn plan, but that is the first thing you need to do. You need to give them the tools for how to react when they see pornography because you want them to react quickly and safely, not to be shocked. You also want to prepare them for the reality is that it could be, um, it could make them curious. That's, that's a true uh, reaction to pornography, right? Because there are going to be some kids who will be immediately repulsed, but there are going to be other kids who are curious. There might even be kids who, well, there will be kids who will feel a response that that actually felt good. And that's a normal response because it's a sexual encounter and their body is responding to it bio biologically. 
And so you need to let them know, hey, if you see pornography in any way, shape, or form, I want you to talk to me about it so that we can help you heal and move forward. Because if you're curious and you think, oh, I, I kind of want to look at that again, I want to know so I can help you avoid that. We need to be honest with our kids to give them a plan for what to do. There's a quote that I love about this. It's written by Madeline Langle, and this is what she says. Our responsibility to them is not to pretend that if we don't look, evil will go away, but to give them weapons against it, to give them weapons against it. We can't just pretend, oh, this, is, this isn't happening to my kid. Because even if it hasn't happened to your kid yet, it will at some point. And you need to prepare them for it, even if they're an adult. How good it will be for them to be better prepared, to have the weapons to fight against it. Okay, that was the first one, be prepared. Number two is to be informed. Be informed. And I want you to be informed about your kids. I want you to be aware of the voices that are speaking into their heads, their hearts, and their souls. Who is influencing your kids? They're growing up in a pornified culture, but how much influence does that culture have on them? And so here are some things for you to consider about who's influencing your kids. Number one, what apps are your kids using? If they're on social media, there is a chance that they're encountering pornography or sexual predators. If they're on apps, they're probably on those apps for hours a day. Who are they watching? Who are they listening to? What kind of ideas and messages are they absorbing that could be dangerous to their mental, emotional, and spiritual health? Know what apps your kids are on, whether they're 13, 17, or 7. Know what they're using. Don't just assume it's okay because the rating says it's okay or because all their friends are on it. You need to know... Um, what games they're playing. What video games are your kids playing? Because that has an impact on their worldview as well. So many video games have really highly sexualized content and images. And if your kid is playing that day after day, they're absorbing that. And they're beginning to think that it's okay to objectify the human body, male or female. I mean, the world of video games um, outside of, I don't know, Mario Kart can get really dangerous. And so you need to know what games are your kids playing, and you need to be willing to say, this one is not okay. I want to play it with you. Let me see what you're playing. And then if it's not okay, have a conversation why. Also, when kids are playing video games, a lot of video game consoles are connected to the Internet, even if it's not on a computer. And that means they could be playing with a stranger or a stranger could have access to them, and you might not even know that. And if they just have their headphones on and they're playing in their room or in your living room, they could be talking to a stranger, and that stranger could actually be not a fellow kid, but an adult who is going to prey upon them. Sexual predators love finding kids through video games. Be aware of what games your kids are playing and who they're playing with. We didn't let our kids play video games for a long time. I, I really don't like video games, but I also didn't want it to be that they like, you know, turn 20 and were like, video games, finally! 
And so um, I, they get to start by playing this little tiny, like, vintage video game. I don't think it's a Game Boy. I don't even know because I know nothing about video games. But it has a tiny screen and it's all pixelated and they thought it was so awesome because they had nothing. Um, but, but then they've saved and, you know, I have an almost 19-year-old and an almost 17-year-old. So they eventually saved up and they bought a Nintendo Switch. But the rule was um, no games with sexualized content and no playing with anyone online. And um, as long as they live at home, that's the rule. And so, yes, it can be hard to be informed and know all the things that your kids are engaging in, but it's so important for their safety and their health. Um, some other examples of things you need to be informed of what your kids are, are doing or what they're consuming. Do you know what your kids are reading? One of the number one ways girls get uh, involved in pornography is through erotic books. And so you think, oh man, books aren't even safe. No, some books aren't. And sadly, there are a lot of libraries who have those books front and center for girls, young, teenage, middle school girls to read. And they're very, very um, full of erotic pornographic content. And that's the route that many girls take to be involved in pornography. Another thing you should be informed about, anime. Some of you guys, your kids probably love that style. Like I said, my 11-year-old loves Pokemon. It's a Japanese animation style, and some of it is harmless and fun and cute, um, but a lot of it is not. A lot of it has very sexualized content. We found that out the hard way when one of my sons, who is an artist and loves drawing, and he was in an anime stage, and he got books from the library. And um, I was really naive at that point and didn't realize that I needed to check the books. And we found that a lot of them, um, when we noticed his drawings, were um, becoming a lot more sexual out of the blue as like a 12-year-old. And I realized when we went and looked at the books that they were really sexualized. And um, the problem with anime pornography is that because it is cartoon, anything goes. And so it can get very dark very fast. Be really aware of what your kids are consuming. What is your kid watching? What are they listening to? What apps are they on? What video games are they playing? Be informed. Who is the loudest voice in your child's life? Be the guardian that stands between them and the roaring lion who wants to devour them because that's the truth. He's out there. All right, number three. We're getting close to the end. You guys are doing great. Um, the third one is be compassionate. Be compassionate. And this one is so important, guys. You need to be compassionate when your child comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, I've seen porn, or I've been watching porn, or you find out because they didn't come and tell you. You need to be compassionate. In that moment, you might feel angry. You might feel hurt. You might feel scared, sad, all kinds of things. But I need you to put those feelings aside and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with compassion for your child in that moment. Reach out to them, touch them, say, I am so sorry that you've seen that. That is not what sex is supposed to be. It's not what God designed, and I want to help you.
And that's hard to do, but what a difference it can make for a person who is dealing with something heavy and scary and difficult for you to react to them with compassion. This, um, this book, it's called Rethinking Sexuality by Dr. Julie Slattery. And listen to what she says about responding with compassion in these moments. She says, people are looking for help for their addictions and hope for their broken hearts. They want living water. If we run away or we become judgmental or uncomfortable anytime we see sexual pain, we will miss the greatest opportunity to enter the pain of their sexual brokenness and share the love of Jesus Christ. Wow. We have an opportunity to help people when they're hurting the most by simply being compassionate. We also have to be compassionate when we talk about people who are consuming pornography. If we're speaking judgmentally, harshly, um, we're talking about people in a super negative way who are consuming pornography, what are the chances our kid would come to us then and say, hey, you know all those people that you talk trash about all the time? I'm one of those. They're probably not. So be careful how you talk. And I'm not saying you're telling your kids it's okay to consume pornography. You're not. But instead, you frame it in a way of, I care so much about people who are engaging with pornography and the hurt that they could be experiencing that I want to offer them something better. You also need to be compassionate in helping them understand that pornography isn't always consumed because a person that is using it has um, a sexual addiction and they're totally messed up. A lot of times, people who are consuming pornography are consuming pornography because they're bored, they're lonely, they're depressed, they're discouraged, they're stressed. That, especially for teenagers, those are reasons why they start using pornography. And it's compassionate to tell your kids that so they understand, oh, there is a reason that I was attracted to it or my friends or other people. Be compassionate in the way you respond to people who are using pornography, especially your own kids. Because compassion brings people to us instead of pushing them away. And if there's ever a moment we want people to be drawn to us, it's at a moment when they're dealing with brokenness in their life. All right, number four, be different. Be different. There's a book called The Tech Wise Family by Andy Crouch. And in this book, he says, he encourages people not to be all the way Amish, but almost Amish. Um, I actually found out when I was on um, Julie's podcast, I was on Julie's podcast, the author of this book, and I shared the quote from Andy, and she goes, well, actually, Greta, I don't think you should use that quote because the Amish have a lot of trouble with sexuality because they don't talk about it. I was like, oh, okay, well, you should talk to Andy because he's the one who put it in his book. I still like the idea because it sticks with us, um, but it is true. We need to talk about this stuff, but we do need to be different, and I, I want you to understand what that looks like. The average age for getting a cell phone for the first time, and I don't just mean like a flip phone. I mean a full-on smartphone with all the bells and whistles. The average age for the first one is 10 years old. What if you said, we're going to be different. We're not going to give our 10-year-old a smartphone. 
We're going to wait. We might not even give our 13-year-old a smartphone. Do they really need one? Or maybe we're going to give them a dumb phone. There's a lot of companies, actually, that are making dumb phones now. There's one called Gab, Gab Wireless. My kids use the Gab Wireless. And um, it, it actually looks like a, a smartphone. It has a screen, and you can... You don't have to do the beep, 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 you know, like that you used to do on those old cell phones. You can swipe and do stuff, but it is not connected to um, the Internet in the sense that there's no social media on it. There's no Safari or other search engines. It's used for calling and texting. And it takes pictures, and the pictures are crummy. But when did it come, become a thing that, like, 10-year-olds had to have an amazing camera? Like when I was 10, I had a little junky Kodak camera and I would take my film to Thrifty or wherever to get it developed and they were all junk and it was fine because I was 10. But now people ask me when I recommend the Gab phone, they're like, well, how, how good are the pictures? I'm like, your kid's like 11. They don't need, they're not going to take great pictures even if they have a good phone. It's fine. And if you're that worried, get them a really, get them a nice camera. Get them a digital camera. It doesn't have to be a phone. So looking different might be that you say, we're going to wait on a smartphone. We're going to give our kids a phone that just calls and texts. It might be that looking different is you say, hey, devices are in a room where everybody is. No devices in bedrooms by yourself. Or maybe looking different is finding out the screen rules before your kids go to someone's house to play. Like asking another parent, hey, um, do your kids have unsupervised access to the internet? Because our kids don't and um, we don't want them to. So if that's the rule at your house, then they could come to our house to play or I just request that they don't have access, unsupervised access to the internet when they're at your house. And I guarantee when you say that to some people, they will be mad at you. They will, because they're going to think, you're judging me. And you're like, no, I'm not. I just want to protect my kids and our kids. But it's going to be hard. It's hard to be different. What if looking different means you say, hey, we don't watch movies or TV shows where the human body is objectified? A few weeks ago, we were, my husband and I were like, hey, we want to show you guys some shows from when we were a kid. So we decided to show them Magnum P.I. Do you guys know Magnum P.I.? Like you can hear the theme song right now. Remember Tom Selleck and his, oops, his mustache? He was so handsome. And so the show started and it was great. Like the theme song came on and um, we loved it. And then within minutes, there were a lot of girls showing a lot of skin. And it wasn't just like they're girls in bathing suits. I mean, the emphasis was... They were being objectified. They were being portrayed in a way that the focus was not on them as human beings, honoring and respecting them, but just focusing on their sexual body parts. And our kids called us out. They're like, you watched this when you were kids? You were allowed to watch this? They know my parents. They're like, Granny and Jaji let you watch this? And I was like, I don't really remember this part, guys. And we turned it off. And, and that's just deciding, hey, we're not going to view things where people are objectified. And then we had a great conversation afterwards. Be willing to be different. Decide first as a couple, how are you going to be different in a world of tech 
in a world where everybody says kids can do whatever they want, give them a phone, give them access to the internet, give them social media when they're 10, man, I really, really, really encourage you to hold off on social media for as long as possible. In our family so far, we've said no social media till you're 18. And our 18-year-old waited, um, and he started uh, an Instagram account when he was 18 and a half, and it's just for sharing his art. He came to us with a whole um, reason why he wanted it and how he would use it, and it was really good. And we said, sure. Our 17-year-old wants to be a firefighter, and he's already been told through the firefighting program that he's in that it is unwise for him to have social media if he wants to pursue a career in firefighting. So he said, I don't even want social media. And I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> Way to go, firefighters. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but it, it's hard to be different. It's hard for your kids. Be honest with them when you as parents decide, hey, we're going to make you wait to have a phone. Hey, we're going to make you wait to have social media. Be honest with them that you understand it's hard and do whatever you can to help them through that. That means driving them to hang out with their friends in real life if they're not just hanging out online. Making your home a place where they're welcome. Be willing to be different because I believe it's worth it, but know that it will be hard. Okay, last one. Number five, be connected. This one is my favorite because it's actually really fun. Remember I said earlier, actually I don't think I said it, so I'm gonna say it now, is that pornography use is really isolating. Pornography use is isolating because of course it's something that we wanna hide, we don't want people to know about, but also it drives us away from real life connections. It drives us away from real life intimacy. So when we choose to be connected with our kids, we're doing the opposite of pornography. We're showing them what real life connection, real life relationship, real life intimacy, we're showing them what that looks like. This is so important in helping your kids reject pornography. Rejecting pornography isn't just knowing the truth about it. That's super important. That's why you give them the porn plan. That's why you tell them how it impacts their brain and their body and the way they view other people. But rejecting pornography is also showing them what the good stuff is, the real relationship. And you, as parents and grandparents, you're the ones who get to start that. Um, I wrote a book. My first book is called Adventuring Together. And the whole purpose of this book is, if the subtitle is, How to Create Connections and Make Lasting Memories with Your Kids. And I think that this is so important because it is a tool for fighting pornography. The adventures that I talk about in the book are not, that's not the goal. That's just the vehicle that gets us to the goal. The goal is showing our kids again and again and again what real life connection and what real life intimacy looks like. That might mean that you choose to take your kids on a date every month. You go out for donuts or you go on a hike together. Activity is a great way to engage with your kids. Um, it's also a great place for them to be able to have conversations with you that are challenging. It doesn't mean that every date you're like, okay, what heavy thing can we talk about next? That's going to make them not want to go on the dates with you. But occasionally they'll come up. Maybe it means you choose to do, um, take a class together, learn something new together. Maybe you serve um, in some capacity through your church or to your community. Create 
regular intentional opportunities for connection between you and your kids. And I really believe that that is one of the best ways we can help our kids reject pornography. Teach them, show them, help them experience real-life connection and real-life relationship so that they can identify what pornography offers as false. So, you did it. You made it, guys. Those are the five things. Let's remember your action points, okay? You need to be prepared, be, pre be informed, be compassionate, be different, and be connected. Those are five ways you can begin helping your family create a culture that is anti-porn. And I want you to know, like, there's no such thing as a porn-proof force field that you can put your kids in. So these are not a guarantee that your kids won't see porn or they won't use porn. Um, those things could happen. But these are steps to help them be discerning and hopefully reject porn. Even if they were to see it or to use it, that they would recognize, oh, this is not something I want to do and I want to reject it or reject it from the get-go. That is our hope because we want to raise a generation of kids who reject the lies of pornography and instead choose the gift of sexuality as God intended it to be, which is something good and beautiful and the opposite of what pornography presents to them. I want to close with some words from Romans chapter 12 that have been kind of my battle cry in this fight against pornography, and I hope that they will be encouraging to you. Um, they're from, like I said, Romans chapter 12. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's what you are here for tonight. You are taking the first step in overcoming evil with good. And I want you to know if you are feeling like you're alone in this battle in some way, I invite you to reach out to me. You can come talk to me afterwards. You can reach out to me online. Um, my website is gretaeskridge.com. And... Um, I would love to talk to you there or on Instagram. You can check out my Instagram highlight, porn resources, exclamation point. <laughs> Actually, no, fight porn. Um, and all these books, I'll put them back there. They're, feel free to look at them, take pictures, thumb through them, because sometimes it's easier to see things in person that you want to use before you actually buy them. And I, I know you guys have got to go, but I wanted to show you two. I forgot to share these books. These are great if you have littles. This book is called God Made All of Me, and it's a book to help your kids um, learn about people who might want to hurt them, and um, it's to help them protect their bodies. This is a great book. Your kids under the age of five, three to six, please read this kind of book with them or this very one. And then in that whole section where I was talking about being different, we need to tell our kids that they've been made in God's image Start when they're young, helping them see that they are beautifully designed by a creator. Give them that truth so that they grow up believing that about themselves and about other people. And that also is a tool to fight against pornography. And now I am done. Thank you so much.
Thank you all for coming tonight. Um, thank you again, Greta, for coming for such a difficult topic, but I think we all walked away encouraged with some information that we can go home with. Um, she will be in the back. You can take a look at all of her books. Two things. If you want a resource of all of her books or articles, you can come see me in the back, and I will take your email down, and I will send it out to you probably tomorrow or Friday. That's one. Number two, this was recorded. So it will be made available on the church YouTube channel in a couple days once it's uploaded. All right? Thank you all for coming tonight, and drive safely.